Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, Trump unleashed making a mockery out of a Manhattan courtroom, practically daring a judge to kick him out and insulting the woman that he sexually abused after coming face-to-face with her in court. Plus, first out front, a massive underground operation smuggling migrants into the United States. Our David Culver following their dangerous journey and finding the migrants living in the United States when they get here. We'll see where he is tonight. And a royal mystery, Buckingham Palace announcing Kate Middleton had very serious abdominal surgery in the hospital for two weeks away from royal duties for more than two months. What's wrong? Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the Trump charade. Former President Trump is about to speak in New Hampshire after spending much of the day in a New York courtroom where he dared the judge in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case to toss him out of the room. All day, Trump did not control his outbursts. And the reality of it is, is this is exactly what he wanted. The theater, the coverage, all of it. He wants this case to look like a charade, like a joke by throwing his hands in the air, shaking his head, slamming the table, muttering the words witch hunt and con job so loudly that the jury could hear it. And he did that while E. Jean Carroll was testifying that Trump's attacks had shattered her reputation. And then after court ended and Trump goes out, he continued in this way. This is a person I have no idea until this happened, obviously. I have no idea who she was and nor could I care less. It's a rigged deal. It's a made up, fabricated story. Trump accusing Carol of lying. It, just, just to be clear, though, here, because it's actually very easy to muddy the waters in this case and important to pull the mud out at moments. The judge reminded Trump that, quote, for the purposes of this trial, it has been determined already that Mr. Trump did sexually assault Ms. Carroll. This is important to remember. Jury had already decided this. So what's at stake now is just how much money he, he may have to pay in defamation against her, not the abuse part. His verbal assault, though, is consistent for Trump. It's part of a long pattern, which he is now employing once again on the campaign trail uh, when it comes to women. Just look at what he said about his closest competitor, Nikki Haley, who, as I speak right now, is actually holding a dueling rally in New Hampshire. Now they're pushing bird brain. You know who that is? Nikki Haley. She's not tough enough to deal with these people. I will tell you that. She's not tough enough. Bird brain, the tough word. Trump and women. Nothing has changed there, not on the campaign trail and not in the courtroom. Paula Reed is out front live in New York to begin our coverage. And Paula, clearly the former president wanted this drama. He courted it uh, in a courtroom. Uh, what did he get out of it today? Yeah, it's remarkable, Erin, when you have someone on the stand that a jury has found was sexually abused, testifying about their experience, it takes uh, quite a lot to try to steal the spotlight from them. And the way Trump and his lawyers went about it today uh, was to try to manufacture some drama between them and the judge. For example, throughout E. Jean Carroll's testimony, again, this is the first time she's testifying with Trump in the room. 
She testified at the trial in the spring, but he didn't attend a minute of that trial. But while she was testifying, Trump was physically and verbally reacting. Now, Aaron, when you were in a federal courtroom, there are rules. Being disruptive during witness testimony is forbidden by anyone. You or I would likely be kicked out of a courtroom if we were doing this. Of course, the judge pushed back on Trump one time, just gently urging him to be mindful, not to be so loud that the jury could hear him, and then being more forceful the second time it came up. But again, it's not clear why Trump thinks that the rules of decorum in a federal courtroom don't apply to him. His lawyer, Alina Haba, also repeatedly admonished by the judge for not following the basic rules of evidence when trying to introduce pieces of evidence during her cross-examination. Now, look, these all appear to be sort of manufactured controversies, right? They're just not following the basic rules that apply in a federal courthouse. Well, the Trump team, Trump and his lawyers are litigating some very legitimate constitutional questions. Today's drama all seemed designed just to amplify this narrative that Trump is somehow the victim of an unfair judicial system. But I, of course, don't want to lose track of E. Jean Carroll's powerful testimony today. It is very difficult for survivors of sexual assault to testify in any courtroom, never mind when their perpetrator is just a few feet away. But again, Trump, his goal today was to seize the spotlight and try to amplify his own victim narrative. Paula, thank you very much. Right outside that courtroom now. And I want to go to Ty Cobb, the former Trump White House lawyer. So, Ty, the judge warned Trump that he could be removed from the courtroom if he's disruptive. And this was uh, after several times when Trump could be heard making comments during uh, the testimony, uh, you know, like witch hunt and, and con job. So, and Paula's talking about that. Then the judge responded, and I want to read exactly what the judge said, Ty. The judge says, Mr. Trump has the right to be present here. That right can be forfeited, and it can be forfeited if he is disruptive, which uh, what has been reported to me consists of, and if he disregards court orders, Mr. Trump, I hope I don't have to consider excluding you from the trial. So then Trump throws his hands up in response, Ty, uh, you know, kind of a, oh, and the judge says, I understand you're probably eager for me to do that. And then reporters in the courtroom heard Trump reply, Ty, quote, I would love it. Judge responds, I know you would. You just can't control yourself in this circumstance, apparently. Um, what do you make of this back and forth? I mean, does, does, he, does Trump really want the judge to kick him out? Does that serve his purpose? Yeah, very much so. I mean, Trump's only there uh, to create a political narrative. You know, there's nothing that he can contribute to this trial as opposed to the last trial where he was found guilty of sexual abuse, uh, sexual assault. Um, you know, th th there he actually could have testified and, you know, addressed the facts as to whether or not it occurred. This is just about damages. There's nothing that, you know, Trump can say about damages There's nothing he has to say about, you know, her testimony or or the expert's testimony. He's not going to testify. Um, so he's just there for the show and the free publicity because, you know, Trump personifies the um, adage that uh, there is no bad publicity. Uh, if, if they're talking about you, you're winning. Um, right. So I think and I think, you know, his his name calling, um, you know, is characteristic. I mean, he's went from name calling the judge to name calling Nikki Haley. Um, you know, his continued lying about the sexual assault, even though a jury has already found him guilty, is very much akin to his still lying about uh, the election being stolen. Uh, this is this is Trump at his worst. And um, I don't think we're going to see anything much different between now and November. 
So the, the, the former president then posted a very lengthy rant, rant on social media about the judge. Uh, the judge in the trial that I'm attending today is a totally biased and hostile person. He is abusive, rude, and obviously not impartial. That's the point he keeps trying to make, right? Uh, and then he went on to repeat some of these claims after court. At the time, Ty, what he was doing was slamming the judge for not canceling court tomorrow, uh, which would enable Trump to attend his mother-in-law's funeral, which is also tomorrow. Here's Trump. So... He would rather have me miss the funeral or go to the funeral, miss the trial. And that's a nasty man. He's a nasty judge. He's a Trump-hating guy. And uh, it's obvious to everybody in the court. It's a disgrace, frankly, what's happening. It's a disgrace. Ty, as you've made clear, he doesn't need to be there, and there's no reason for him to be there at all, right? So being there is a show, uh, and, and there is no choice. He can go to the, the funeral. There's no impact. However, he's presenting it this way for a reason. The reason is he wants the judge to look biased. Oh, you'd give other people the day off if they needed to be here, uh, but not me. D will that work? No. I mean, it'll work I, probably for his political narratives and for his diehard fans who want to believe his fantasy about uh, this being a um, you know politically motivated uh, uh, judiciary and Justice Department and uh, federal courts. But uh, Judge Kaplan is, you know, held in high regard. He's a well-seasoned judge. He's handled many, many cases uh, that are a much heavier lift for a judge than this particular case. Um, he's handled terrorism cases, mob cases. He just handled the Sam Bankman-Fried case. Um, you know, this is a very serious judge who believes that lawyers, you know, should understand that it's a privilege to be a lawyer and that they need to follow the rules and that their duty is you know, to help things proceed honorably and uh, fairly and expeditiously. I think his frustration uh, with Trump is um, uh, understandable, uh, but I think he's actually probably equally, if not more frustrated with uh, Trump's lawyers uh, who uh, uh, did some shocking things in courtroom in the courtroom today. Well, his lawyer, Alina Haba, she would violate all the rules, right? I mean, she wouldn't wouldn't stand up. And he's like, this is a basic rule. You need to do that. These are the basic the basic rules of decorum. Again and again, we're violated. That and responding to him at one point saying, I don't like to be talked to that way. Plus, then she did a very, you know, sort of minor league job of trying to introduce some evidence. And, you know, the judge was very patient with her. He gave her, you know, sort of two recesses or two opportunities, tried to guide her through it himself, you know, called a called a halt and, you know, took a break to, uh, with the hope that one of her colleagues could help her uh, figure out how to do what it was that she intended. Uh, it was really sort of you know, embarrassing. And uh, I, I think he's, you know, I think he, that's not, that's not the type of lawyering that he's used to seeing. And I'm sure that frustrates him because he demands a lot of the lawyers that show up in his courtroom, not the least of which is respect, not only for the judge, but for the judicial system. And he's not getting that from her. Uh, and I'm sure that is, uh, um, you know, in part, uh, what he's responding to. All right, Ty, thank you, as always. My pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. Nice right. to be with you. Good night. And next, you're looking at live pictures of Nikki Haley in New Hampshire as those attacks between her and Trump have gotten exceedingly ugly. Plus, a massive multi-million dollar business smuggling migrants into the United States. And tonight, we uncover where the tens of thousands of migrants are heading once they cross the border. And a rising star in the Republican Party had a lot to say about abortion. A lot of people tell me, don't say abortion is murder. Guess what? Abortion is murder! But wait till you see what our K-File found about his use of the word abortion now. 
This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, the GOP race for 2024 getting very ugly and nasty in New Hampshire. Let's show some live pictures from the state. Nikki Haley just walked out at a rally in Rochester, New Hampshire. Donald Trump supporters are waiting for him to take the stage in Portsmouth. Ron DeSantis actually was there, but left the state earlier today, going down to South Carolina. This is Trump is ramping up a series of racist attacks on Haley in the state, a sign of how negative things are going to get just in these few days before Tuesday's primary. Kristen Holmes is out front. Donald Trump is putting his focus squarely on Nikki Haley as he eyes a win in New Hampshire. Nikki Haley is a disaster. With six days until the Granite State primary, the former president is dismissing Haley's support, claiming the former South Carolina governor is counting on Democrats to boost her candidacy. Nikki Haley, in particular, (laughs) is counting on the Democrats and liberals to infiltrate your Republican primary. They're going to load it up with Democrats and independents, and that's not what the Republican Party is about. Registered Democrats are not able to vote in the GOP primary, but Republican and undeclared voters can. The GOP frontrunner also returning to familiar tactics on social media, attacking Haley using her birth name. After recently amplifying a post falsely claiming that Haley, who was born in South Carolina, could not be president because her parents were not U.S. citizens at the time of her birth. An echo of the racist lie he promoted that former President Barack Obama was not born in the U.S. People behind Nikki Haley are pro-amnesty, they're pro-China. The attacks are part of a broader strategy by Trump's campaign to blunt Haley's momentum in the Granite State, as polling shows her within striking distance, targeting her record on immigration to appeal to conservatives. Drug traffickers, rapists, poisoning our country. But Nikki Haley refused to call illegals criminals. Haley also treating New Hampshire as a two-person contest. You look at the fact we've got all these issues around the country and around the world. And what are Biden and Trump both focused on? Investigations, past issues, things that aren't taking us forward. We can either have more of the same or we can say it's time to change and move forward. 
But the former South Carolina governor once again inviting scrutiny for comments about race, after earlier drawing criticism for failing to mention slavery as a cause of the Civil War. We're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country. Asked about those comments during a CNN town hall, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis not agreeing with Haley or attacking his rival. The U.S. is not a, a racist country, and we've overcome things in our history. I think the Republican Party uh, stands for merit and achievement and colorblindness. That is what we should stand for. Now, Donald Trump also spoke after his court appearance earlier today, but it was clear New Hampshire was still on his mind. He repeated saying that Democrats were going to vote in the GOP primary, something that, again, is not true. Only registered Republicans and independents can vote in the primary. He also said that he had seen polls that indicated he was very up in New Hampshire. And I will tell you, Aaron, I've talked to a lot of his campaign advisors, and they are still concerned about Haley's rise. Aaron? All right, Kristen, thank you very much from Portsmouth tonight. And I want to go to Wayne McDonald now. He's a longtime major player in New Hampshire GOP politics. He's a state representative, and he was the state campaign chair for Chris Christie's campaigns in both 2016 and 2024. And Wayne was also the person Christie was speaking to in that viral hot mic moment just before Christie had announced he was ending his campaign when Christie said Nikki Haley is going to get smoked. And, and I'll ask you about that in a second, Wayne, but I really wanted to ask you uh, about the, the race now. I mean, it's getting very nasty. Uh, you know, th these things are very personal and, and, and pejorative. Will this turn voters off in New Hampshire? Uh, and do you think it'll hurt Trump or Haley more? Uh, well, negative campaigning, unfortunately, is effective. As a former state party chairman, I always got nervous during primaries when uh, leading candidates, whether it was for president or governor or U.S. Senate, whatever, started getting nasty. But at the same time, uh, it almost always happens in every race, especially when you get toward the, you know, toward election day, toward primary day, because there's so much at stake. They've invested so much. And it's understandable that they're starting to feel the pressure and they want to they win. So Ron DeSantis did leave New Hampshire today, heading uh, back to Florida, uh, his home, of course, before going to weekend events in South Carolina. Now, the New Hampshire primary is six days away. South Carolina is obviously more than a month away. Does this strategy make sense to you? Well, it flies in the face of conventional wisdom, certainly. Uh, I'm not supporting Governor DeSantis or former President Trump. I have said that I'm not supporting um, former Governor Haley, um, Ambassador Haley, but um, I'm not, so I'm not, I don't have, I'm not privy to some of the strategies of the DeSantis campaign, but his leaving New Hampshire does fly in the face of conventional wisdom and, and normal campaign practices as we're, you know, with only six days to go until the New Hampshire primary, I'm surprised to hear that, that he did leave. Uh, you know, and all right. Now you mentioned you're not you're not going to support Haley, but right now you're not supporting Trump or DeSantis. That viral hot mic moment that you were a part of, right? Chris Christie, you were there with him uh, right before he went out, right? And he tells you Nikki Haley's going to get smoked, uh, and it's just before he went out on stage uh, to speak. Um, uh, well, uh, less directly, shall we say? <laughs> um, uh, obviously, didn't say that. I want to just play part of the exchange with you again, Wayne. People don't want to hear it, Wayne. They don't want to hear it. We know we're right, but they don't want to hear it. Right. And, and there's, you know, we couldn't have been any clearer. Right. She's going to get smoked. And you and I both know it. She's not up to this. She hasn't even been. She's still 20 points behind Trump in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Now, after Christie dropped out, Wayne, you did make it clear you're not going to support Nikki Haley. So that does leave just Trump or DeSantis, if you're going to pick from uh, the main GOP. You say both campaigns have reached out to you. Uh, are you are you close to making a decision? What's going to decide who you pick? Well, as as I've said, you know, and I've had, you know, I have friends in all of the campaigns, yeah. um, you know, both currently the, the current campaigns as well as the, the campaigns of the candidates who have dropped out. And one of the things I said is I was much more pro pro uh, pro Chris Christie than I was anti anybody else. Uh, so, um, you know, I, Governor Christie and I are friends. We go way back. Uh, I was proud to support him eight years ago. I was proud to support him this time. I'm in no hurry to make a decision or, or jump on another campaign. And there's a good chance I'll just stay out of this thing right up until I, mm. I mark that ballot uh, next Tuesday. Uh, so I'm, I'm not in any hurry at all. And uh, I can tell you that some Christie supporters have actually been voting for Christie, even though he got out of the race. That's the kind of commitment he's attracted mm. from his supporters. Which is a very interesting uh, data point, right, as everyone talks about where, where might some of those voters go. Uh, obviously, given his message had been uh, uh, very, very clearly and directly uh, against Trump. Thank you so much, Wayne. I appreciate your time. And now I want to go to the Democratic hey, South you. Carolina State Rep Todd Rutherford, because uh, take a look at him uh, on the left of the screen of this image I'm going to show you now. That's him with Nikki Haley as she called to remove the Confederate flag from South Carolina's state capitol as governor and then worked to get that measure passed through the state legislature. He did all that and get it onto our desk. So, Representative, I really appreciate your time. And now um, that, of course, uh, race and birtherism have become a part of this campaign, um, I suppose it's no surprise uh, that we're here. But, but nonetheless, it's disappointing. But here we are. Um, after Kaylee, and people want to understand where she really stands uh, on these issues, she called to remove the Confederate flag in 2015. And at the time, you said, quote, I give her credit for stepping out there and doing what's right. And you were with her in those moments. Why do you think she is now having such a problem talking about race? Because even when I gave her credit back then, what I gave her credit for was stepping in after the General Assembly had already decided that we were going to take the flag down. And now she's trying to walk back comments about race, comments about what South Carolina and the country's history were when she said on Fox News that this country has never been racist. We know that there was a three-fifths compromise back in 1787, went all the way to 1866. We know this country had... 400 years of slavery, which she couldn't seem to mention when she was talking, when she was posed that question before. So I'm not sure exactly what she's trying to do, except that it seems a lot of bird whistle, of dog whistling to try and get Republicans to focus on anything else other than the facts and the issues. At the end of the day, I'm clear on the fact that Joe Biden is going to beat anybody that comes out of the Republican primary, whether it's her or Donald Trump. But right now she seems to be just stretched, but trying to do anything she can to get people to pay attention to her. So, Representative, let me ask you, um, you know, last week I was with her at a town hall and we talked about her remarks about the cause of the Civil War, right, when she did not mention slavery. And she was clear that it should have been the first thing that she mentioned. And then she said this. It was not just slavery that was talked about. It was more about racism that was talked about. It was more about, you know, we had friends, we had black friends, we had white friends, but it was always a topic of conversation, even among our friends. And in the South, we're very comfortable talking about it. All right. Um, you grew up in South Carolina. What's your response to that answer? In the South, we are very comfortable talking about race, and it comes up a lot at the state house, and a lot of the issues that divide the Republicans and Democrats in South Carolina have to do with race. A lot of the issues when she was governor had to do with race, including the Confederate flag, which at no point did she try and take down before nine people were murdered in what we now call the Charleston Massacre. 
She spent her entire governorship, six years, trying to act as if race did not matter until all of a sudden it did. And you've got to remember, nine people were slaughtered in a church in Charleston, South Carolina, right before the Republican primaries. It was the perfect storm for us to get the flag taken down, but it was also the perfect storm to put pressure on her to make it happen, which she refused to do her prior six years in in the governor's chair. All right, Representative, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. All right, and next, breaking news, assassinated. The prosecutor investigating the stunning armed assault that was broadcast live on television has been murdered. New fears of all out, chaos and lawlessness. We're gonna take you live to the ground next. Plus, Arnold Schwarzenegger, detained, now facing criminal charges. And the details of this entire story are so bizarre that it's almost hard to believe, and we have to share it. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news, CNN is learning that the United States moments ago carrying out more airstrikes in the Middle East, targeting Iranian-backed militants who have been attacking ships in and around the Red Sea. Now, when you look at this, uh, and again, these have always happened around this time in these past days. This is the fourth night that the United States has struck a series of targets uh, in Yemen in the past week, in less than a week, to be clear. Orrin Lieberman is out front live at the Pentagon. And Orrin, what more are you learning about the strikes tonight? Aaron, according to two U.S. officials, the U.S. has now carried out further strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen. This is the fourth time, as you point out, within the course of the last seven days that we have seen the U.S. target the Iran-backed rebel group. On Thursday, we saw the U.S. and U.K. carry out a wide array of strikes against command and control nodes, radar sites, as well as the missiles and drones they have used to attack international shipping. There was a follow-on strike on Friday against a radar site. Then just yesterday, we saw them target anti-ship ballistic missiles. And here, once again, it's unclear at this point what was targeted. We expect to find that out soon. But the U.S. clearly showing a willingness to go after the Houthis in Yemen, again, an Iran-backed rebel group, after the Biden administration for weeks tried to avoid directly targeting the Houthis for fear of a potential escalation in the region. But the context here is important. Aaron, twice this week already, the Houthis have targeted and hit U.S.-owned and operated vessels. Minor damage ships continued on their way. But that is a critical context for what we're seeing unfold here. All right. Fourth night in a row. And we'll see uh, as we get a list of how many uh, strikes. I mean, obviously, some of these other nights, it's been 30-plus strikes in in a single single night. All right. Thank you so much, Oren. As Oren gets more, we'll bring him back. Uh, And also tonight, the focus on the southern border. Texas will not surrender is the attorney general's response to demands that federal agents be allowed back into a stretch of border that Texas seized. You can see it here, surrounded by fences and National Guard troops. The Biden administration had demanded that access be restored by tonight. And this is coming as we have been tracking the massive surge of migrants, in particular now Chinese migrants, crossing the border via a massive underground operation. In just the past year, more than 31,000 Chinese migrants have illegally entered the United States, which is double the prior 10 years combined, as our David Culver has reported here out front. And now, tonight, he is live in Ecuador. He's told us about a massive underground operation there that's been smuggling migrants into the United States. And David, you're on the ground there tonight. What more are you learning? 
Yeah, and Aaron, the reason it starts here in Ecuador is because this is a country that Chinese nationals do not need a visa to enter. And so this is really their first stop in the Americas, and then they head north. Now, if you ask most of them why they're going north, they'll tell you it's to find work. But when you enter the U.S. illegally and you're still in the backlog of an asylum claim, that can take time. However, we tracked several migrants, and what we found is pretty interesting. If crossing the U.S. southern border is step one, America. then step two for these Chinese migrants might just be even more daunting. You've made it. Now what? How is it now that you're in the United States? Yeah. That's freedom. Freedom, they tell us. Even as Border Patrol handcuffs and leads them onto buses to be processed, where they go from here and who helps them along the way might surprise you. We're going to go down to the basement here. He said he's got a couple of rooms. From Southern California to New York, we meet dozens of Chinese migrants who've taken near identical paths to get to the U.S. He's two months. He's been here four months. Yes. And they came over from California? Yeah, from California. Into San Diego. Yes, San Diego. For Chinese migrants, parts of America can look and feel a lot like China. Take New York City's Flushing neighborhood home to a Chinese diaspora going back generations. It is once again a desired destination for these new arrivals. And you expect more to come? Yes, maybe five. Oh, maybe put in another bed, you think? Yes. Community wow. leader Ma Zhu tours me through the many rooms of this flushing house where he hosts migrants from China. You have Christians? Yes, yes. Uh, Buddhist. Buddhist. Yeah, Muslim. Muslim. Mm. All under one roof. Yeah. Behind each door, we find a different story. You're learning English. It's your daughter. Yes, yes. And is, where is she right now? In China. In China. She's in China right yes, now. Yes. Does it surprise you that we're seeing such a surge in, in Chinese migrants coming to the U.S.? I'm not surprised, Ma says. I think this is just the beginning. But Ma stresses that this goes beyond politics and economics. Coming to the U.S. is their way of seeking dignity, he says. Ye Changsheng is seeking that dignity for his wife and their two young daughters. He says the Chinese Communist Party's crackdowns on faith, especially towards Muslims, motivated him to leave. To me, he says, the U.S. has felt like a soft, warm embrace. My favorite color is blue. Thank you. <laughs> While some feel hope, there are those like 28-year-old Zhang Shijing who feel mounting pressure to find work. He crossed into the U.S. a few weeks ago and is eager to repay money he borrowed from family and friends to make the trek. There's an army of migrants marching north, he tells me. It is going to be so competitive to get a job. He sees the migration influx as added career competition. He looks to those who've come before him, like Wang Chun, in the U.S. now for more than a year and a half. After flying to Ecuador in the spring of 2022, Wang then rode motorcycles, buses, and boats to get to the U.S.-Mexico border, eventually making it to Los Angeles with a dream to become a truck driver. Where do things now stand for you legally here? Wang tells me today he is part of the overwhelming backlog of U.S. asylum cases, but it's not stopped him from building a life here. I've got a work permit, driver's license, and social security number, he tells me. Adding, we work hard and pay taxes. We're not a burden. 
While Wong is waiting to plead his asylum case in court, he's now legally working as a truck driver. His focus? On the road ahead. Yet behind him, there are thousands from China and elsewhere determined to reach their American dream. So, I mean, David, this is, uh, you know, amazing to watch this. And so many of these migrants, uh, this treacherous path through Ecuador, where you are tonight, where you're following breaking news. I mean, incredible violence there. The horrifying video of armed gunmen taking over that television station uh, and a major development tonight. What's happened? Right. The reason we're here in Ecuador, Aaron, is to get a better understanding of this recent surge in violence. And this is a country that for so long was known as an island of peace. And now it's become what the president here has said, an internal armed conflict to neutralize terror groups. And so you mentioned that TV station. That's the one that was seen around the world because in the middle of a live news broadcast was when 13 armed gunmen came in. Not only did they have guns, they also had explosives. At one point, they even put an explosive, a dynamite in the front pocket of one of the news anchors. All of this happening on live TV. And that really awoke this country to what was playing out. And it started just a couple of days before because you had this notorious gang leader known as Fito who somehow escaped from prison. Then the next day, the state of emergency was declared. And now we're seeing this violence that has really caused a lot of folks to feel unsafe to even leave their homes, Aaron. This is an incredible story uh, and just amazing to see uh, the chaos on the southern border. The incredible damage uh, that the, the ripple effects of that. David Culver, thank you very much. And out front now, the former Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Congressman, Ecuador under a state of emergency. It's descending into chaos and gang-fueled violence. And it was a country known as a peaceful place to go. In fact, I think it even made uh, one of the 52 places uh, for the, this year to go to for the New York Times. Uh, that was uh, came out probably a few days before the... Uh, the uh, armed raid of the television station. Now assassinations. How concerning are these developments? Uh, this is all stemming, of course, and related to uh, what's going on on the U.S. southern border. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely concerning. These are <clears throat> cartels that are coming from Colombia. They're coming from Mexico. They're expanding their operations into Ecuador, uh, destabilizing that country quite obviously. And it's interesting. I mean, it's really been <clears throat> 20 or 30 years since the United States seems to have had a good foreign policy focus on our own hemisphere. I mean, obviously, what's going on in the Middle East is important. What's going on in Ukraine is important. But what's going on in our own hemisphere is just as important. We can walk and chew gum. So this is a very concerning problem, not just for Ecuador, but this is going to increase further pressure on the southern border. And uh, it really feels like we're paralyzed dealing with the southern border. I'll, I'll tell you, Aaron, I, I've, as a guard pilot, an Air National Guard pilot, I actually worked the southern border. Yes. It is a human trafficking problem. I mean, this is, this is not about, you know, people having an opportunity. We all want people to have an opportunity. But this is about we would find dead bodies on the southern border. This is the cartel making money on trafficking humans. One of these guys that was just interviewed said he has to pay his family money back for the journey. That money went to the cartel to yeah. get him up here. So it's a huge issue. Yeah, and obviously those cartels now uh, in control of many Mexican uh, states. I mean, did you seeing it? Um, so when we talk about the southern border and, and, and what's happening there, okay, it was a quarter million uh, illegal crossings in December. I mean, the numbers are just stunning, Congressman. It's, it's hard to even, uh, you know, comprehend it. Uh, James Clapper, you know, uh, former DNI for Obama had said it is a national security concern. And I, I know you, you've talked about that. But when you, the, when you talk to the Biden administration, Congressman, they say, look, we are trying. 
We are trying. It's not that we're sitting here saying, oh, we want an open border. They say they've put a budget request for 1,600 new asylum uh, officers, 375 new immigration judges. Uh, You know, they rant about people coming over the border. They say it's congressional Republicans that are blocking these proposals and essentially keeping the border open. Is that fair? Are both sides responsible for the failure on the border? Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, look, I mean, I, I don't remember the details of it, but as part of you, the Ukraine money situation in Ukraine and Israel, uh, the administration put down a potential $10 billion or something like that for the border. I forget what the, the number was. And the Republicans rejected it. I think Speaker Johnson, either today or yesterday, said it's not the time for comprehensive immigration reform. Okay, I get it. But when you're making, when you're a divided government and you have a real problem, and the thing put on the table is more border agents and judges. And here's the thing: they, you can go on a different news channel, not ours, uh, and say, "Oh, what's you know, what are we going to do with asylum judges?" and and poo-poo that. But that's what you need because this backlog that's existing is because people can't get a hearing. And when they get the hearing, usually 80% of them are not eligible and they're deported. So, right. I mean, look, there's a lot that needs to be done. But, yeah, it's it's this is an everybody problem thing. It's an American problem. And when you say it's not time for comments or him to uh, border reform, I'm sorry. That was a <laughs> word salad for me. But if not now, then when is almost what you could say. All right. right. Well, Congressman Kinzinger, I'm always glad to see you. Thank you. You bet. See ya. All right. Next, K-File uncovering the radical views of a rising star in the Republican Party. They were witches, all of them. Yeah, they, they were. They were. They and I and I have no doubt. Uh, it would not shock me one bit if they were uh, not Satanists uh, involved in witchcraft. Witches, Satanists, and witchcraft. Who is he talking about? And we'll tell you about him. Plus, Kate Middleton expected to be in the hospital for two weeks after surgery and uh, out of sight for months. What's going on? Tonight, quote, they were witches. That's what a rising star in the Republican Party, North Carolina's Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, said about early champions for contraception in America. They were witches, all of them. Yeah, they, they were. They were. They and I and I have no doubt. Uh, it would not shock me one bit if they were uh, not Satanists uh, involved in witchcraft. It's an idea that's straight from the devil. Right. That is just one of many examples uncovered by K-File of Robinson expressing radically anti-abortion views. Now, Robinson, who is also the leading Republican frontrunner in the North Carolina governor's race, is trying to walk some of this back. K-File's Andrew Kaczynski is out front. And Andrew, those are sort of jaw-dropping thing to say. And he wasn't being facetious. facetious. I'm sorry I'm having trouble speaking tonight. It was not a one-off. He has a long history of making incendiary comments about abortion. What did you find? Yeah, that's right. Our team found time and again... Robinson voiced support for the harshest anti-abortion laws, completely banning it without exceptions for rape or incest. He compared it to American slavery and genocide. He said women who end abortions, uh, even after just 24 hours, were murderers. He called abortion providers the butchers of humanity. And it's it's not just abortion that Robinson has come under fire for. He has a, a long history of controversial comments. He mocked the survivors of that 2018 Parkland school shooting for their anti-gun activism. He called them uh, spoiled little bastards and prostitutes. And he's even attacked the civil rights movement. He said it caused people to lose freedom. But these abortion comments that we found were really some of the harshest. Take a listen to just a few of them. A lot of people would tell me, don't say abortion is murder. Guess what? Abortion is murder. 
Planned Parenthood is no more than the devil himself disguised as an organization meant to help the needy that need medical care. I want North Carolina to be the most pro-life state in the nation, hands down. He's a rising star in the Republican Party. That's right. And, and why is he doing this? Why is he moderating his rhetoric? Well, he's doing it because abortion has been a losing issue for Republicans. Uh, he now says he never supported bans without exceptions for rape or incest. He says he does support uh, those exceptions. But every time that we've seen abortion go on the ballot since uh, Roe was overthrown, we've seen it. We've seen abortion win. We've seen abortion uh, rights supporters win. And uh, Robinson really doesn't want this election to become a referendum on his uh, his comments. All right, which is fascinating to see those comments. But again, uh, right now, uh, running for uh, governor of North Carolina and front runner. Thank you very much, Andrew Skizinski. And next, Kate Middleton in the hospital, and she could be there for weeks. Now she's temporarily stepping away from her royal duties as well. Plus, Arnold Schwarzenegger detained, facing charges. I mean, just wait until you hear what happened to him at the airport. Tonight, a royal medical mystery. Kate Middleton, the Princess of Wales, is in the hospital and could stay there for two weeks after undergoing surgery. The royal family announcing the 42-year-old had successful abdominal surgery. And after another 10 to 14 days in the hospital, they say she will recover at home and not return to public duties uh, in, until some, maybe sometime late April. Max Foster is out front. He joins me now from London. Max, this announcement was a, was a major surprise today. What have you been able to learn about her surgery and what it seems to be an incredibly lengthy stay in the hospital and time out. Well, we were only to told after she had the surgery. We weren't told she went into hospital, just that she was in hospital, had this successful surgery, and it had been planned. Uh, the only detail they're giving us is off the record. It's from a source saying it wasn't related uh, to cancer. So I think it has been quite a shock. She's the picture of health. She is fit and she's been vibrant in recent engagements. And uh, we're told that she's going to be in hospital for up to two weeks and could uh, be then recuperating for up to three months at home. So I think it has been quite a shock to people because she is the future of the monarchy. And after the queen dying and the, the slimming down of the monarchy, I think it, you know, it has taken people by surprise at the very least. And we won't see her now uh, probably for months. Yeah, and especially, um, you know, I understand, of course, she, she wants a right to privacy, but... Uh but everybody so very much wants to know. I mean, and I can only imagine uh, what that is like where you are. And I know she's going to be missing for months. And uh, Prince William now is also expected, you've been reporting, to step back from his duties while Kate is recovering. Uh, contrary to some mm. who had thought he might be out there even more and taking some of her engagements, that he uh, may be doing less uh, to help take care of his own children. What do you know about that? Well, they're very hands-on parents, both of them. They live, they've got a house in Windsor and they stay there because the school is very nearby. Uh, they don't have uh, room in the house for lots of staff. They want to do it all themselves. So William has um, come off the royal diary and he's there. He's looking after Kate, but also the kids and running them around all of those school duties. Uh, so we've got two senior members of the royal family off duty now. We've also got King Charles who will be off duty next week. So uh, you've effectively just got the Queen and uh, Edward and um, Anne now stepping in and representing the royal family. So uh, we're going to see a lot less of them. And uh, I think, you know, uh, people will feel that over the coming months as well because they're used to seeing them all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, so much, so much curiosity, of course, about what is really happening there, and of course, concern as well. Max, thank you so much. And next, Arnold Schwarzenegger detained. And wait till you hear why authorities hauled him off, not to a jail, but to an ATF. Tonight, Arnold Schwarzenegger will face criminal tax proceedings in Germany after he was detained in the airport for failing to declare a very, very expensive watch upon arrival in the country. So in this photo obtained by CNN, you see Arnold holding the box with the watch in question. Now, here's the thing. Schwarzenegger gets pulled aside for hours, ultimately agrees to prepay potential walk taxes on the watch, which was apparently going to go to some charity auction. A source close to the actor, though, says the whole ordeal would make for a very funny cop movie, which is surely a reference to the 90s hit, The Kindergarten Cop. Officers tried and failed to use a credit card machine, wasn't working, so then they gave up and they haul him off to an ATM. He needed more cash than the ATM would allow him to withdraw in a day and the bank was closed. So then a different officer brings out a new credit card machine and that did the trick. Wow. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. AC360 starts now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 